Hi, I'm Alison Sandy. Hi, I'm Brian Seymour. And I'm Sally Layden. Welcome to episode 13 of Conversations. And we have an extra special guest today, Greg Carey, radio legend. Hi, Greg. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Alison. Hi, Brian. Hi, Sally. Hello. Hi. Now, Greg is extra special to me because I've known him for more than 20 years and he's been a, you know, a mentor for me throughout my career and uh, just a voice of reason, so much wisdom and obviously been a great support for me. So thank you, Greg, for being part of this as well as um, obviously all your expertise as a, uh, a well-known radio presenter and, um, and journalist. So it's, it's great to have you on board. That's a pleasure, Alison. Thank you very much for the the kind words and congratulations to all of you in, in what you've been doing. This is a this is an extraordinary journey, you know, and you've you've handled it with great patience, great perseverance, occasionally understandable frustration, but you know, you're doing great work and it's fascinating, isn't it? People all around the world following it and supporting him. It's great. It really is. And you ha- and you have been following it right from the very beginning. And, and obviously, because um, I've called on you for different advice and things like that. And, and look, what's your, what's your take on it, Greg? You know, Alison, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's got up and down a little bit. You know, you go in one direction, then you're suddenly pulled back in a different one. I think I've felt, as most people and many millions of people around the world who have heard it will have felt, and that is a certain anger at times, a certain frustration at times for Sally and on behalf of Marion. Um, Sally's making an understandable request for access to information that might help her find a mum. And when you have an institution that's been established to serve the people, stand in the way of people, that is the police, standing in the way of people trying to access that information, then I think you have the the beginning seeds of quite a quite a big problem. So I, I felt frustrated by it, um, and I can only hope that the police start to bend a little and give the kind of support that, you know, it frankly surprises me they won't give. I think one of the real problems in society now is that we're seeing institutionalised bureaucracy and the bureaucracies are forgetting why they are there, whether it's the police, and I know you've had frustrations with the Commonwealth Bank as well. Why are they standing in the way? And the real problem is, and we saw this at the Royal Commission of the Banks and the other financial institutions, is half the time when they're doing bad things, they don't even understand they're doing bad things. And I think that's been one of my many frustrations listening to this. I, I simply cannot understand why the police are behaving as they are, unless unless they know they made an egregious mistake in the early stages and they've been trying to cover that up. And absent any information that they could provide, I think we're entitled to, to hold that view. Might be wrong, but as of now, I think you're entitled to hold it. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, it, it is it has been tough. It's been one of those horrible, horrible things to have to live through, um, and particularly you know, majority of the time doing it by myself, it's it has been really difficult and you do put a lot of faith and trust into the police. Well, I certainly did. You know, I handed over a lot of documents and things like that and information about mum's bank account, which I've never been given back and seemingly has been lost. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I understand over the years it's been a long journey, but I really don't think... I don't think it was handled well at the very get-go and I think it just fell by the wayside and I can't help but feel that back then in 1997 they just sort of pushed it to the side and hoped that I'd go away quietly. Um, And unfortunately for them, I'm a Torian and um, I, I, I will fight till the end because this is important for me. It's important for my kids, um, you know, I've, as... Um, Mark Levison said the other week, you know, he didn't want to leave Matt's story or Matt's journey um, undone before. So his boys had to sort of keep dredging themselves through that the rest of their lives as well. So that was their plight to, you know, make sure that they get some closure and find him. Um, and I feel I feel the same way. I think that um, it, my take on this, um, I lean away from the the notion of a cover-up or a conspiracy because um, I've been a journalist uh, back in Sydney now for many years and, and, and dealt with the police over many years. I think there's more credence to what Sally was just saying, that, that it po- probably wasn't handled um, very well at the, the start. It, it, it wasn't. Um, it was a small-town police station. It seems that the, the, the minor efforts they did make at the time by their own admission w- were not um, by the book. Uh, I think a lot of... 
a lot of their work, they're, they're so overwhelmed with current crimes being committed, and they do everything from white-collar crime to terror to burglaries to rates, domestic violence and all the rest of it, that, that they really didn't give this the priority that we now know that it should have had. And I think it's more a case of it needed to come to this stage to be elevated to this level and, and Sally meeting Alison and, and particularly Alison recruiting the team and starting us all along this journey is the one most responsible for elevating it to the level now where, you know, we're going through the administrative tribunal. We're putting the assistant commander on the stand and asking them specific questions about the case. They're reviewing it for the first time. And, of course, uh, you might know uh, that recently the New South Wales Police disbanded the missing persons unit and they're now under Project Alethea launching an entirely new, well-resourced, much certainly much better, more capable version of a missing persons unit to deal with exactly these kinds of cases. And I think that tells us that they, you know, what we already knew, they did not have the infrastructure to deal with this kind of case before. And I think we're not so much exposing that as, I guess, um, um, trying now to go back and do a lot of the work that, that clearly wasn't done. So, Greg, you've actually uh, looked at um, all the notes from NCAT, the transcript and everything like that. What was your take on, on that? Well, I think it relates to what Brian was just saying, and I fully respect where Brian's coming from. That might well be right. It might be even a case of confirmation bias, something, again, that can affect all of us unless we guard against it. That is, we, we hold a view and then we feed everything we see and hear through the prism of that view. So to a hammer, everything becomes a nail. Yeah. But yeah. The, 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 the only problem with the, as I see it, and I'm just a listener, uh, as everybody else is to this thing, the only problem with that rationalisation, I think, is why the police are still standing in the way. Um, I think they've had plenty of time to, to launch a proper investigation into all of this, to get their, uh, their ducks in a row. And yet, Ali, coming to your point, listening to that uh, appeal, I thought it was Orwellian or something out of Yes Minister. Mm. And it was clearly, uh, you're talking about the evidence by um, Commander White, and to all our listeners, you're in for a real treat this week because at the uh, New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, and Alison can talk more about this, we actually, the whole thing is recorded. So in episode 12 that, that's coming up, uh, you're going to hear a lot of what was said in that hearing, and you're going to hear about what Greg's just talking about, the, the cross-examination by our lawyer, acting on behalf of uh, Channel 7 and Sally, to the... Um, the commander, uh, Inspector Stephen White, uh, about about this case. And he's come to it very late by all accounts and, and reviewed this. And um, I think there, there's, some, there's some truth to what you're saying. Uh, why are they continuing this? At the same time, they have asked the coroner to make a ruling on jurisdiction and we're still waiting on a homicide detective review for a possible referral to the coroner. So there is something happening now. It may just be that the... The wheels of bureaucracy are creaking uh, more loudly and moving more slowly than any of us would like. Now, yes. th- that we get to that, I, I should actually just mention um, that uh, in, res- in response to that, I wrote an email um, to the coroner about the jurisdiction issue because, um, you know, I-, I-, I feel like it's deflecting from the real issue of just resolving this case. Um, and look, I respect the police um, wanting to do that, but I just think that the decision needs to be made about the inquest and get this underway because Sally just wants wants the investigation done and to find out what's happened. So um, this email I'm about to read you resulted in New South Wales police refusing to deal with me anymore. Um, now, it was written to the coroner. I didn't send it to the New South Wales police. So either officially or unofficially, it was sent on to them. Um, and this is what it is. And I won't, I won't, you know, because it's quite long. But, you know, I just basically said, good afternoon. Marion Barter's daughter, Sally Layden, would appreciate if she could be consulted in relation to any decision the coroner will make on her mother's case. The reason being is the jurisdiction issue has been raised before by New South Wales police as to whether it should have been referred to Queensland. I know in a report by Detective Senior Constable Sheehan to the Missing Persons Unit in 2011, which was already 14 years after her disappearance, he outlined that before an inquest concerning a death or suspected death could be held, it must appear, one, the remain well, just stop point, the remains of the person are in the state, that the death or suspected death occurred in the state, or the death or suspected death occurred outside the state, but the person had a sufficient connection with the state. And then I go on to say, aside from a handful of years living in Queensland, Marion lived her entire life in New South Wales. 
She was born there after returning from the UK. Her Medicare was used there in Grafton and her bank account was drained from there in Byron Bay. Crime Stoppers was called with a tip. Her body was buried at Armidale. As far as Sally is aware, this is the only call that has been made to Crime Stoppers in relation to Marion's possible burial site. If Marion is deceased, it's much more likely she died in New South Wales. It appears New South Wales Police, and this is the line I think that's really upset them, it appears New South Wales Police is trying to dodge its responsibility for this case because it missed the deadline of a referral to the coroner that should have been done within 12 months. So it was four years, and this is the the crucial time, because she was put back on the missing persons list in 2007, and it wasn't until 2011... Um, that they're kind of like, well, what's going on? You know, why hasn't it been referred to the coroner, basically? That's what the documents in the supplementary decision indicate. And my, I guess, where I was going with that is that it appears to me that the four years had, had elapsed, um, or the 12 months had already elapsed, I guess I should say. And as a result, um, there was pressure. I don't think that, you know, that there seemed to be pressure to close it or get, get it away, I suppose, um, because the time had already elapsed. And, um, and I'm not saying that was, that I'm not saying at all that it was Gary's call or anything like that, but he was the the officer that was put into it, so I'm not having a go at Gary at all. But I think New South Wales Police um, have a, you know, should just be looking at getting this resolved for Sally. Um, I I think the issue of jurisdiction is, is... um, is sort of token at the moment that it's kind of de- deflecting from the real issue, which is finding Marion or what happened to Marion. And what I'd like to say about that is that I personally think from a person in our community, um, in our country who has someone who goes missing, my mum's case was flicked back to Tweed Heads, Byron Bay, because that's where I initially made the report after me contacting the AFP and the AFP obviously contacting Missing Persons Unit New South Wales regarding my mum's case because she wasn't on any database that they could find. So they were questioning why that was the case. And that was when Stephen McAllister came in and he was working at the Missing Persons Unit in Parramatta, I believe, in Sydney. Um, And then after he'd done his investigation, it got flicked back to to tweed heads and I just don't know I mean we talk about how busy they are and how they've got so many other more important things to do well I'm really sorry but in my world my mum is important to me just like someone being murdered or someone robbing a shop or something else like it's not I shouldn't I don't think people should label what's more important than one other thing Um, we're talking about a human being here who has not been seen or sighted or touch bank accounts for the last 22 years. Um, a vulnerable woman who was 51 and had had quite a few upsetting marriages and, and you know, fallouts in those situations and therefore she was labelled as this person who was highly capable of this behaviour, um, which was a judgement call made by police, not by me or by anybody else. Um, and I just don't think it's fair that they get so busy that they flick it back to a general police station they should be just withheld within the missing persons unit and the people who are skilled and set aside and put into those roles to look after missing persons that's where it should sit it shouldn't get too hard and they just flick it back just to keep it on the burner to keep people like me happy or at bay that's not that's not okay and and i called them on it and now new south wales police refuse to deal with me which i think is an overreaction and i think a, a bullying tactic I think it's yeah. I think it's I think it's worse than an overreaction. I think it's absolutely outrageous. You've you've done nothing wrong, Alison. You guys you guys are simply doing what you're entitled to do. And this perhaps relates to the first point I was making. Whoever said that to you works for us. You know they they work for us. They're part of an organisation that we established to serve us. Mm. And in this particular case, they're meant to be serving uh, Sally in the search for a mum. And for them to get defensive and take umbrage to what you're doing in pursuit of that cause, which should be the cause that they're pursuing, I just find remarkable. And the fact that it's all there too, Greg. Like when, like Alison's not pulling that stuff out of her hat. That's actually fact. We have that in Freedom of Information documentation. So what she's referring back to the coroner saying, hang on a minute, this is the proof. This is what we have in front of us that we're working with. So by no means... Are we sitting there trying to make a bad situation out of out of out of air? This is fact. This is what we're working with. So they need to just come to the party and, and listen to it and go, Okay, yep, we made a mistake or yes, we can see that we didn't, you know, abide by the terms as per section da 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 in relation mm. to giving the coroner a report within the twelve month period of what happened with this case. So it's just fact. We're not, 
you know, we're not trying to stir the pot or make up make up things to make it a bigger, better story. This is the fact. This is what I've been dealing with for 22 years, and it's a constant battle. Yeah. You, you, you just said something then too, Sally, and, and, and Harry Bosch went through my mind. Uh, a lot of people now might enjoy Michael Conley's work and his wonderful detective, Harry Bosch. And Harry has a, um, he has a, a saying or a phrase. He says, everybody counts or nobody counts. Mm. And, and if the police are listening, and I'm sure they are, I mean, no, nobody wants to pile on of the police. We know it's a tough job. But lots of people have tough jobs. Um, and don't be defensive about it either, because what, what is being pointed out here are some pretty obvious things. Don't get angry at Alison. Don't get angry at Sally and Brian. Just, just maybe re-examine the premises here. Everybody counts or nobody counts. Sally counts. Marion counts. Getting resolution to this counts. That's the issue. Yeah, and, and, and on that, um, everybody does count. And everything you said, Sally, is 100% right. Then it becomes pragmatically an issue for police to work out who they're going to put on it, how they're going to pay for that, which budget it's going to come out with, all of those things. Now, now we, we work in television. We know all about that. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the thing is that um, they clearly had problems in the missing persons unit, which has been disbanded. That, that's gone. That's being replaced with a new unit that is going to, the promise is that it's going to be properly resourced, funded and manned so that it can handle exactly this type of case. So in that sense, Sally, um, that, that, there's, the, there's the answer. That it, the, the actions speak louder than words. In terms of going forward... I don't know. Uh, that, that email was fine, I, I think, Alison. I mean, you, you're raising the possibility. I can understand them taking umbrage at the notion of uh, being accused of a cover-up or whatever else. But at the same time, um, you know, they, they are seeking uh, from the coroner advice on jurisdiction. Perhaps under the legislation, they need to do that for some bureaucratic reason to enable them to trigger something else in terms of resources or requests. I don't know. They seem to be hinting at that whenever they say... In the scant correspondence we get from police, that um, that look, uh, we are bound by legislative requirements uh, that prohibit us from um, doing anything in particular with you at the moment or talking to you about specifics. Perhaps that's what they're alluding to. Perhaps they're trying now, at last, to find a way to do some of the things we've been asking about for for a long time now. But um, yes, the, the, the police aren't um, keen to invite you around for a cup of tea anytime soon, Alice. I'm sorry. Well, and I, look, you know, I don't know. I, I, I guess. I don't know exactly what their intention is here, but we talk about them, you know, recreating this great thing in New South Wales. Yet on the on the flip side, they're sending a a, a statement to the coroner asking for a jurisdictional um, decision whether they flick it back up to Queensland. So you know, as I where say, do that I may sit? be that may be some sort of um, bureaucratic process they go through to trigger the ability to do other things. I- I'm not sure, but in my experience, well, maybe that's they what should that kind say of that activity rather than, rather than saying we refuse to deal with Alice and Sandy anymore. I mean, what? <laughs> like, seriously? That's... Yeah. Well, well, and, and that's a fair question. Perhaps they don't. If it is the case, there, there might be a number of reasons why they wouldn't say that. But again, I- I'm speculating. Well, I- I'm just yeah. I'm just trying to make sense of something because we, yeah. we are operating in a vacuum of. Information. And you know what? People make mistakes. I'm the first person yeah. to sit there and sure. say people make mistakes. I have made plenty. But, you know, if that is the case and, you know, I think, I, I think I've got prob- a lot of people behind me to say that I'm an extremely patient individual who has tried to hold my head up high and, and go through this journey without criticising people, without being, you know, pulling my hair out most of the times behind closed doors, but still coming out into the public eye and shedding, you know, praise and and light on the situation, particularly with Gary. And, you know, I have sat back and had to deal with a lot. And, you know, people do make mistakes. I'm not saying Gary did, but, you know, potentially there are other areas that have been... Um, not handled properly or done incorrectly, which has caused my case to be the, you know, the length that it is and the issue that it is today. And, you know, I would even just appreciate an apology. You know, I'd be very happy with that. But you, all, I'm, all I seem to get is the closed doors, you know, it's a rotating door for me and it just keeps slapping me in the face every time I step in. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I think, that's, I think that's really important. Look, clearly a mistake was made. And whether it's, because of resources or, or whatever, 
in the absence of any information to the contrary, and I'm just a listener following the journey you guys have undertaken here, but, but Marion was found, according to these people. <laughs> they, they stopped the search because Marion was found. Well, Marion wasn't found. So I would have thought, just going back to basics for a moment, what mistake was made at that time and who made it? And, and let's not beat up on that person. Let's just try and understand why that mistake was made. What was the information? And this was alluded to at the recent hearing as well, that the police followed certain procedures. Well, share those procedures with us because those procedures clearly failed and they failed badly. And this is the essence, I think, of the frustration of the many millions of people listening. And that is, why won't you try and rectify that mistake now? Yeah, yeah, and, and that, that, that's exactly the information we're seeking through the uh, Administrative Tribunal, Greg. That's exactly one of the key reasons we've, we've gone there, to get that file, to look at yeah. that, the reasoning and the thinking behind that decision to remove Marion suddenly, abruptly, from the missing persons register. You know, it would, have to, it, would, it would need to be something very strong and, according to their own protocols, physically citing her or um, having uh, some evidence uh, of, of her location, um, neither of which remains. the police say they had. Yeah, yeah, so it was either remains or physically citing. But, I mean, yeah. I think um, the extraordinary circumstances, which was the, the reasoning that, that, that was made at the time um, by Gary, um, and, and, again, I believe Gary was... In, you know, he was under instruction. This was, you know, he's just doing his job as per, you know, they're, they're so, he's a soldier. You know, there are people that are there guiding him. And um, I think, um, yeah, so the, the reasoning was is that, you know, because of all these factors leading up to a disappearance, changing a name, going overseas, you know, that um, she went missing of her own volition. And that's always been the, the reasoning. And it was under, there is a clause that, you know, legally that they could do under these extraordinary circumstances that they could take her off the register. And that's what happened. So, um, and look, we're just saying, and we have always maintained, we don't agree with her being taken off the register. We've always said that. And now, which was the point of that email, is like, Sally just wants to get on with this you know we don't there shouldn't be fighting about jurisdiction just get the investigation done get an inquest whatever it is so that we can get resolution but and i think the fact too is that we keep forgetting is that we talk about when she was on the register she was only on the new south wales register she was never on the national database that has been confirmed to me by afp um and let's remember to everybody she was never on the missing persons list for the first 10 years of her disappearance that was 2007. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't exactly. until I picked it up again and rang AFP and said, this is ridiculous, my mum's missing, it's her 10th anniversary of her missing, without a trace, please help me. That's when it started again. That's just so crucial because uh, there are so few long-term missing. Um, most people are found within hours, days or weeks Correct. at the outside. And when um, I went to the bank... Those first 24 to... hours, those first few weeks and months, they are crucial. And I didn't have that opportunity because I only found out about her missing in the October and sh- her bank account was being drained in the August. So, But still, even then, there was only two months bef- while that yeah. money was being drained as opposed to when I listed her missing. So yeah. that was the crucial time. That was when we it should was. have been searching for her at the nth degree, like they've just done for Theo. You know what I mean? Like, yep. he's he's not even an Australian citizen yet. New, like, um, New South Wales police have just gone and above and beyond to find him, which yeah, I am because so everyone happy matters. that they are doing yeah, that. Everyone like, don't matters. get me wrong; yeah. I have been plugging him and trying to help find find him on my Facebook page as well because anybody missing is a devastation in my in my opinion. But you know, there there are things that you know. Well, like that's, that. that's what you've always wanted, Sal. I mean, part of this in getting this resolution isn't just for you. It's for all the other Correct. people out there that yeah. are in this situation yep. whose cases aren't being taken seriously or, or haven't been dealt with properly and, and, you know, their loved one is still missing or yep. they don't know what's happened and they haven't got any closure. And, and you know, we, we saw with Mark Levison what he had to go through to get it, you know. Like, it shouldn't be that hard. No. It shouldn't be that no, hard. it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. So just to let all our listeners know, so the NCAT decision, uh, and this apology is my fault because when um, I thought that the NCAT decision was coming down the 22nd of July, but in fact it's from, <laughs> anytime from the 22nd of July. So um, so I, I, we don't have that yet, but which it is forthcoming. And look, we did get the supplementary decision, which has a lot more information, which we are revealing in the next episode, which comes out Monday. So episode 12 of the podcast comes out Monday, which will um, have the NCAT legal battle, which you'll be able to hear for yourself, um, and also have the extra information from the supplementary decision, which is really, 
really good. So um, just really sheds a bit more light on it. Not enough light, obviously, which is why we're still fighting. But um, And then um, we also have another episode because it was so big. We were doing this episode and it was just mammoth. We had to cut it in two. So we have another episode coming out the following Monday, which will be episode 13. I so can hear everyone cheering now. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting hundreds of yeah. people going, when's the next podcast? When's the next podcast? So it's coming well, that's on it. Monday. We're, we're not going to waste your time. We're not just going to fill uh, airspace because it's there to be filled. We're going to give you the information when we have it. And we've been working harder than we ever have in this, uh, this brief hiatus, I promise you. And you, you'll hear the results of that. Yeah, and it is. I mean, and that's the thing. That's why we we you know, and and that's why we're just doing those two episodes. And then again, we'll you know we we, you know, it's quality over quantity. So we we'll come back again when you know we've got enough for another really good episode after that. And our, same with conversations. Um, we'll take a break after this one until the NCAT decision comes out or an inquest or you know, um, major sort of breakthroughs, I suppose. Um, and then you know, so we'll keep you posted on that as well. But we will be. Going Going through, as I said, the 6pm 7 News, um, we'll have stories still going there and our social media as well. Um, so, you know, stay tuned. There's a lot coming, um, which will be good. So, Sally, what's your latest? Um, well, it's been an extremely busy week, as I predicted it might have been. Um, and I just have got a few points to mention. I've actually had a couple of people comment to me from America so hi to all our US listeners. Um, they've been asking questions like, can I explain what deed poll is and can I explain what a coronial hearing or a coroner is? So, um, Brian, do you want to explain, just so my voice doesn't end up going <laughs> going by the wayside, do you want to explain the coronial hearing for our US listeners yes. and deed poll? Yeah, a lot of Americans will be familiar with uh, a TV show from the 70s called Quincy, Quincy ME, Medical Examiner. And uh, basically, a coroner in Australia is similar to a medical examiner in the United States. It's a it's a branch of the legisl of the um, the judiciary. Uh, so we have a, a coronial court. When someone dies, in it, they have a coronial hearing to determine the the cause of death. Very often, and that's referred by the police. So, or it can be referred by anyone. And the the coroner will sit as the judge, hear evidence. Um, uh, make a determination which is legally binding. So we have a, co- a coroner's court and a coronial inquiry is to determine, to determine the cause of death or whether or not um, homicide or, or uh, foul play was involved in the death of someone. And uh, in many high-profile uh, murder cases, uh, they end up uh, going to a coronial inquiry. Uh, you can have a coronial inquiry that finds someone was likely the victim of a murder. They can then be referred... Um, that can then result in a criminal um, case through the courts, through the, the district court or the Supreme Court, and, and that's found, that person can be found not guilty of murder. Um, so it, it's, it's a, a branch of the judiciary and it's set up to, I guess, um, determine, uh, have, have the powers of the police and the courts to determine the, these types of matters. And what about deed poll? Do you want me to talk about that or do you want to talk about that? Yeah, no, you can talk about deed poll. So deed poll is um, just a a documentation, I guess it's like getting your passport or a driver's licence. So if you um, decide that you want to change your name per se, uh, you can apply to deed poll and it's simply a case of filling in a form, um, showing your identification to prove that you are that person. You have to get somebody to, wit- somebody to witness your form um, to say that, that you are that person and you have to give a reason as to why you are changing your name. Um, as it's been um, discussed in several other conversations way back, um, you know, we've had people from Australia Post contact us and say, you know, you get p- plenty of people who change their name on a passport um, to their married name or, you know, but they want to keep their maiden name as their driver's licence and their Medicare card and all the rest of it. So there are plenty of people out there who get married but choose to keep their maiden name as their regular name, but for documentation or for legal reasons, they choose to have their passport changed to their married name or vice versa. So... It's pretty simple. It's Anybody can do it. Um, there's no real restrictions as to um, why you can do it. One of the questions I have is, why did my mum do it? Why did she not tell me about it? Um, you know, she did it three days after my birthday. And so I kind of, for me, when I found out that date, it was kind of like a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a weird feeling for me to think, wow, you've just celebrated my birthday with me and three days later you changed your name and didn't mention that to me. So 
something something was not quite right there. She did it for a particular reason and that's the reason I want to find out because I don't think she just off the cuff went, oh, well, I want to disappear. I'm going to change my name to Flora Bella Ramakel. Um, so, yeah, so I hope that helps a little bit. Um, please let us know if there's any other information that you need clarification on as we're going through this journey because I've got people from Wales and Ireland and... Um, you know, all over America contacting me on a weekly basis. So um, I'm really grateful. Oh, and Abu Dhabi and Dubai, people over there were sad because they couldn't actually um, like or sign the petition due to the regulations over there, the tight restrictions over there. So thanks, everybody, um, for tuning in. What is the latest on our petition, by the way? Uh, it's it's kind of creeping a bit slowly. We're over the twenty five thousand mark, so I think we were sitting about twenty six and a half, twenty six eight. I, I, I'm looking like at that. it right now, Sally, and it's almost at twenty eight thousand. Okay, cool. It's creeping it, up to twenty eight thousand. Kind of goes in in whims, doesn't it? I think after today, it might have a little bit of a shot again. That's what happened last week as well. So. Um, an amazing, amazing journey for me to see all those people supporting. And I love reading all the comments. I went on there the other day and replied to a couple of people and um, put my own little comment on there just to say thank you for supporting me in this journey. Um, so that's that's an amazing thing. We had a lady called Bianca who sent us a message yesterday or the day before, actually, I think, and just made a suggestion that we share a poster on our Facebook pages that uh, yeah. people could print off. And um, and that's a great idea, Bianca, because I have actually been inundated with people going, can you send me the posters and I'll put them around in my town in New Zealand or, you know, around wherever they're living. And I, after hearing about the New Zealand thing last week. And um, so the fact that we can put something up for you guys to just print off yourselves, even if you go and put it in your local Woolworths and com- a community board or Coles community board or a community board in your local town, um, you know, someone somewhere knows her or has known her. So um, I think the power of the people will play out with things like the poster. Um, I had this gorgeous lady last night. We were sitting at the dinner table and I kept getting all these messages going, I've put it in all PDF for you and I'm a graphic designer and I've made this one. What do you think of it? And I was like, oh, my gosh, I am completely chuffed. Um, And my whole family was sitting there going, wow, you've just got so many people behind you with this. It's amazing. So thank you, everybody, for offering to help with that. We've got like a little team. I've kind of set up a group email with a couple of them over in New Zealand. Um, So Donna, Lacey and Jemima. So we've they're my little group over there in NZ now, so they're going to start working together and communicating well so that they know where they where they are and what they're doing so that they're not doubling up and things like that. So they put up posters as well. Oh, I don't remember because Jemima was saying she was going to do it. And here's the interesting thing with the posters. I mean, um, we had a the Rye newspaper, mm. um, the, just the journalist there walking down the street saw the poster. Thank you, Christine. In, in the UK, yeah? yeah? Yeah, Rye in the UK? Rye is in yeah. the UK, yeah. It, it, it's, uh, and mum was, yeah, the bar Clay's bank was in Rye. It's related to the unclaimed money. And I know Christina took her whole family because she was sending me photos of the kids in the car and the husband driving going, we're on our way to Rye for the day. And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys are amazing. Uh, It reminds me of that that show Life on Mars. I don't know if anyone's seen it, but it's really good. Anyway, (laughs) getting back to Rye. Um, So they were, yeah, so this this newspaper journalist just wrote wrote a big article about him walking along, seeing the poster and then, you know, Mm -hmm. being interested in in telling the story. And we've also got the Brighton paper, Sarah, from there has contacted us as well. And Kent TV, obviously, that's going ahead. Yeah, so I did. I did the interview with Kent TV last night. Um, it was a little bit skittish, I'm going to be honest, because he was doing it via um, FaceTime and my notifications were going crazy and every time someone would send something, it would bump out the camera. So anyway, it was, and it was a little bit disjointed because I couldn't get my flow happening because he kept stopping and then he'd ring me back and whatnot. But hopefully he got enough information from me to be able to do a story. Um, I have sent him a message after we hung up and asked him if he could also mention about Susie Cooper who was the um, lady who came over from the UK on exchange to the Southport School TSS where mum was teaching. And mum has mentioned to quite a few people that she was a really good contact to have if she decided to teach over there and she was 100% going to contact her and get in contact with her regarding teaching over in the UK on her trip. So I'm hoping that maybe Kent TV can do a bit of a plug. We're not 100% sure that her name's Susie Cooper. That's what one of mum's longest friends has told me. Um, But hopefully that is correct and hopefully we can find her. We're also working with TSS 
Access um, very graciously in trying to find some information out about that as well through their archive system to see if they've got any records. Um, lots of people on Trove trying to, you know, delve back through newsletters and things like that to see if we can find some information. So thanks again, all those people. Um, Sakura, she posted a thing about putting up posters again. So thanks again for that. Um, Amy, she's a, a lady in Sydney who's friends friend of a friend of mine. Um, her husband is a retired police officer in New South Wales and um, she's been sending me these massive long emails, which is amazing and a lot of work from her point of view. Um, she's been asking her husband lots of information about the banks and money and, and processes, like not giving me any information that I shouldn't be allowed to have per se, but just being able to shed some light on some really good information. So um, thank you, Amy, and to your lovely husband for helping me with that. Um, I was very excited to get the contract from my, the sale of my mum's house. The lady, Louise, who sold mum's house was one of those ladies that was just amazing and kept every single detail. She's been a real estate agent for 35 years, now retired, um, and sold the business in April. However, they still had all the documentation and she'd sort of indicated to me that she'd do handwritten notes on um, the contracts and things like that, which she did. So I've actually got all of that. So I know all the solicitors who did all the dealings for mum and did the dealings for the gentleman who bought the house um, there's actually her bank account Number. detail yeah. on there. Which we gave to the Commonwealth Bank, so yeah, they were so we've, for that. I don't know if it will mean that we'll get any information, <clears throat> but they've got it, which is good. But, you know, like that, that's a win for me. Like I don't yeah. often get a win. So um, forever grateful for you guys down there. Um, what else? We had a lady called Kylie who I used to work with a few years ago. She remembered me and um, has been following the podcast and with along with her sister. Mm. And they sent us a photograph um, <laughs> of a lady. And you know what? This happens quite frequently. We get a lot of photos of people going, is this, is this your mum? Do you think this is her? And quite yeah. often I'll tell you straight up and go, yay or nay. Like it's just one of those things. It's like looking at your children. I think you just know if it's if it's right or if it's wrong. But this woman really... Quite, it was a side. It was a side photograph, um, and she's a homeless lady who lives in Queen Street Mall, actually in Brisbane, which is four k's from where I live. So you know, not far from us. And um, but looking at her photo, even my kids, like we were sitting on the bed, and Darcy was like, "Mum, I think she looks like her. That's that would be what she looks like." So we were all kind of convinced that we needed to find this woman um, and just double-check it and make sure if it is or if it isn't. Anyway, Alison rang me first thing the next morning going, I'm going into Brisbane to find this woman. And within probably, what, half an hour you'd found her? Yeah, Kathy. her God, name is. Gorgeous lady. A lovely lady. And I, I was so excited as well because I was showing my husband as well and we're looking at it and I'm going, oh, it could be her. And then I, I couldn't get to sleep because I was so excited. I'm like, you know, because, I mean, my gut feeling is... Is Marion's not alive, but obviously there's that glimmer of hope that yeah. she's there. And anyway, so I went there, and yeah, so Kathy, Kathy, she's just beautiful. And we sat there, bought her a coffee and brownie, and we had a chat. And she's <laughs> five children, and and you know, come over from England. She's 78, and she's a singer, and you know, just tragic story, obviously that she told me herself, you know, what she'd been. But she wasn't one of those didn't have a victim mentality. She was just, you know, you can't dwell on the past and blah blah blah. Mm. Very intelligent. Oh, we had a great time. I, I actually even said to her, do you want to catch up weekly? And she goes, no, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, damn it. But I did give her my card and I said, anytime you want to, you know, have yeah, a coffee. Yeah, even or, if she needs a coffee yeah, or brownie. Whatever she so. needs. So, um, and, you know, yeah. it was, it, I didn't think it would be mum. Like, I just, I don't believe that my mum would be homeless on the street. I just don't think. But you just don't know either. So we have to check everything. So rest she, assured, if you do give us something to, that's viable that we can actually physically check, we will do that. Like yeah, we've, we do. we've flown to Luxembourg for yeah. crying out loud. Like <laughs> give it, yeah, <laughs> for well, those, who, those who think we don't do enough, <laughs> please know we are doing everything. And people have asked about Luxembourg a lot as well. Just on, you know, where, you know, where we haven't given up or anything like that, that's still a line of inquiry. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And uh, one of the things that uh, the New South Wales Police can help us with um, once they settle the uh, issue of jurisdiction that we were talking about earlier, which we already think uh, is settled, but regardless, they're going through a process, is uh, to formally request a number of things that are outstanding, that, that we uh, are unable to do. And they include checking things like checking Sally's DNA against any Jane Doe's in Luxembourg, mm. things like um, running down the names uh, and the, the travel histories and the... Um, I guess the, uh, the the personal histories and the 
the, the government-held records, such as medical records, banking records, of the, the individuals, the persons of interest whom we have flagged. You've heard about them in previous episodes. Obviously, the, 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 the most notable, Fernand Rimmerkel, who we visited in Luxembourg, but uh, several other people. And we've compiled all that information and sent it to the police. And uh, we are hoping um, that um, the way things are transforming at the moment through NCAT and through this process of referring to the coroner, um, that we will have the ability or they will have the ability to chase down some of those things. I, I did reach out to the um, the Honorary Consul of Luxembourg. Um, there was some suggestion of, of uh, meeting the uh, one of the, the, the second in charge in Luxembourg who was visiting Australia recently. Um, it's, it's, it's very diplomatically difficult for the diplomatic corps to get involved in individual cases. So that, that did not happen. Um, they came back with, guess what? This needs to Go come from the New, New South, South Wales, Wales Police. Police. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you very and, and, much. And, and, and yeah. every everyone from Luxembourg, from the Commonwealth Bank, from every single Kent jurisdiction, Police. company, group, everyone, Kent Police, everyone has said this needs to come. I AFP. mean, when we were in Luxembourg, Sally and I went to the the police station, and um, the officer took down the details of the case, all the names, all the information we were looking for, and and then said, "Look, um, um, you'll need to." Um, I'm happy to do this. I'll refer this to the, the courts to see if we can take your DNA. But ultimately, it came back, you know, a few days later. No, we're going to need to have that officially from as a request from the New South Wales Police. That's the protocol. That's the process. But um, we, we certainly have a number of avenues of inquiry in Luxembourg, which we have not finished pursuing, which we hope to rejoin very soon. Now, Greg, you've been listening to this all the way along. What is your gut feeling that's happened to Marion? That, that is so hard, Alison, isn't it? Um, you know, like everybody, you know, my fingers are crossed for a, a happy ending, but everything you've presented uh, would seem to suggest that's not going to be the case. But hope hope is a very powerful thing. I just found it really interesting <laughs> when you're outlining, whether it's Luxembourg or here, there, everywhere, it, it all comes back to New South Wales police. And, and listeners are going to find it fascinating when they hear these these NCAT submissions. I, I thought your advocate, Rico Yenjechik, am I saying that correctly? Yes, that's right. Good job. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I, 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 thought, I thought he was fantastic. And he says at one part, because I think it's relevant to what you were just saying, he says at the end, senior member, can I make this point before we leave the question of Detective Sheehan and what he's been doing? And again, this is not a beat up on Detective Sheehan. He sounds like a really nice man. It says, the final point I want to make, a, uh, to make about that is you will not find any evidence before you that the police have at any point changed or shifted from the view that they've expressed very firmly throughout this investigation, that they have no reason to believe that Ms. Barter was the victim of any crime, or indeed that she is genuinely missing, because their view all along has been that she chose to estrange herself from the family. So with that in mind, one asks, rhetorically, what is Detective Sheehan investigating? It all comes back to that original premise and everything just keeps revolving around that, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And it seems to be false. Yeah. Well, Brian was there when he said it, weren't you, Brian? And it was like... Yeah, I was. And uh, I immediately told Alison, it it really summed up the basis of the legal argument. Um, For our listeners who aren't fully familiar, just quickly, we were arguing for access to the New South Wales police file because, in essence, the investigation is suspended uh, um, and we would say effectively closed because they, nothing's really been done for so, so many years. The police are arguing that, no, there's new activity. Apparently there's new activity on the file from January this year. Now, that's after we began, obviously, the lady vanishes and interviewing Sally and approaching the police for comment. Suddenly there was activity and they're using that to justify classifying the case as ongoing, therefore inappropriate to share the file of an ongoing investigation with us or with Sally. So our lawyer was simply saying in NCAT, if the situation, uh, as as Greg just explained, is that you believe she's gone missing and isn't the victim, went missing of her own accord and he's not the victim of any crime, what are you investigating? And just to be clear too, like when I spoke to Gary about that at the beginning of the year, um, he came back from holiday, his very first day back at holiday by four o'clock in the afternoon when I rang him, he'd already done all these checks and I was really surprised actually because every other time I've spoken to him, he's told me he couldn't do it and his hands were tied and he wasn't allowed to do any other checks and then 
just out of the blue, they've run all these checks. And he said, I've sent 17-odd checks out to every state and territory in, in Australia just asking for an electoral roll, um, a driver's licence, uh, Medicare, blah, blah, blah. So that's all they were checking. And Proof when of I, life. When I came back to him, I rang him again and said, have you had any updates on anything? And he just said, oh, so far I've only had um, ACT and New South Wales come back to me and they've all proven zero. But I will say I have never had a phone call about any of that information as to whether they have found something or whether they haven't. So I don't even get an update, which is depressing as well, because I feel like if they are doing something, at least they should actually give me the courtesy of a phone call to say, hey, Sal, this is what we found or this is what we haven't found and this is the status quo. I don't even get that. So, well, unfortunately, I won't be able to get that for you, Sally. But um, maybe Brian, maybe they'll talk to Brian. Um, but yeah, well, um, I, I, and just and just on that, I mean, you know, um, it sounds like we are beating up on the police, and 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 there's a lot of legitimate grievances. Of course, Sally, you, you've been dealing with this for 22 years. I'm not beating I, up on the police, Brian. There's nothing no, beating up it, it, on it, them. I said, it, I said, it, I said, it, I said it sounds like, and, and to some people, it might sound that way. I, I, what I'm saying is that it's it's. You know, I've dealt with the police as a journalist for many years. I've had frustrating times. I'm also aware of the outstanding stellar work they do. We've raised some serious questions about this investigation, legitimate questions, and we are seeing finally some activity, and we've had to work hard to get that. But, you know, it's certainly the case that I don't doubt Gary's dedication to wanting to help you find Marion, we're just questioning the way in which the investigation has been carried out. Well, he's and, a, and that's a very legitimate thing to do. And uh, his hands are tied, and they always have been, and I've always believed him when he said that his hands are tied. I have no doubt that why, you know, what's been going on has nothing, it's not to do with Gary. I mean, I think Gary would be happy to talk to you every day of the week and twice on Sunday if, if he was able to. Yep. So, um, yeah, this this doesn't come back to Gary at all. So we just want if to make then, that clear. If, if then, I think that's the key point though, Ali. If then Gary's hands are tied, who's tying them and why? Hmm. Um, Rico makes another very good point in the NCAT hearing when he talks about a memo that says, and, and this is from somebody, Rico says it, that's not coming from the next of kin, so it would seem on the face of the entry that it's come from somebody in the police. And, and this is, is in the memo. It appears as though parts of this investigation have not been thoroughly investigated. There are some things that are known by family members but are not supported by any formal police notation. Similarly, there are things that are believed by the family to be true, which do not appear to be supported by any police notation. It is intended to meet with family members and try to obtain all of their knowledge, then compare that with what has been documented by police, where it is information suggested by the family, but not supported by police notation. More information will take to try to, that just doesn't quite flow, flow there, but that's, that's the gist of what that yeah, and, and you'll hear that exchange in in the next episode because it was it was very enlightening. Uh, Mr. Jenjacic was was Rico was fantastic in 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 that um, hearing. He really was. He, uh, as I said at the start of this conversation, you're in for a treat. It, it's I, I'm not aware of this being done before. And, and and what did you think with that that comment by Rico, Greg? Well, I I, I thought it was telling. I think it gets to the to the roots of the entire problem here, which which all go back to the, what would seem to be the mistakes in, in the early stages. And, and I, I still can't understand why the police simply won't acknowledge that mistake. And I take on board what Brian's saying, that there will now be appropriate investigations. But I, I just worry about the inertia that not just the police, but so many of our bureaucracies show these days that they, they want to cover up what appear to be mistakes rather than just giving them fresh air. Let the public have access to them. Shine the light on it and then move on. You know, take a positive approach to this, not a negative one. Don't be defensive about it. If a mistake was made, find out why it was made. And we still don't know why it was made. And our listeners will hear next week in the NCAT hearings when they try to get to uh, the investigations that are being undertaken and what is the evidence of why they are now undertaking a new investigation. Because absent, that, absent those, uh, those reasons, why are they undertaking the new investigation? So it's a, it's, a, it's a circular argument that, as of now, doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. No, and hopefully it will though when we when we finally get access, um, and you know, and and it is ongoing. But Sal, did you have anything else you wanted to add before we finish up? Um, I've just got two more points to make. Um, last week we spoke about um, the ASICs money and how there was a little bit of. 
I don't know, it wasn't terribly clear what we had. We had the, the lawyers um, helping Christina with some information about... We had two dates. We had the 31st of March is when the report came out. And what they were saying is that the seven years was derivative from the 31st of March. However, we've had quite a lot of people come back to us and explain that what actually happens is at the end of each year on the 31st of December, they deem whether that account has been active or not. So... Um, what they then do is from the 31st of um, December, they then compile the report and the report is given on the 31st of March. So the date of the 31st of March 1997, if you go forward seven years to December 2004, they're saying from December 31st in 1997 to December 31st, 2004, mum's account was dormant. So that makes a lot more sense. So that is that is actually rigidage, all good, squeak clean. We don't need to talk about that anymore. So we know that that was actually the fact. So what we know is that from the 31st of December, 1997, my mum's account was not touched. That's what we know for fact. So because there's been lots of churning around on Facebook and things about that. So hopefully that's clear now. I know it was really difficult to try and explain to everybody last week. Um, it's extremely hard to get your head around actually too when you've got lots of people telling you different information. So I uh, appreciate your patience with that. Um, and lastly, we had a guy called Alex um, post us a message and suggested that maybe everybody could put mum's name into their database um, at work and see if she came up. I thought that was an interesting, <laughs> yeah. interesting but good idea if you legally can do that. Which name? <clears throat> both. Well, put in both. Put in <laughs> Marion Barter and Florabella Ramakel. Um, you know, I've got a girlfriend who works at Country Road and my mum's favourite, one of her favourite stores was Country Road and she had a Country Road card. So only last year I said to her, hey, do you reckon you can just run name, mum's name into the computer and see if she's still got an active... Um, store cards, like, you know, the rewards card. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there was nothing on the computer. But, you know, little tiny things like that. Mate, as long as you, you can't get in trouble, right? Correct. I don't want anyone to get in trouble. So just as long as, as I said, as long as it's legally mm. able, um, you know, even like a car rental place mm. in Tunbridge Wells, if you're listening over in the UK, if you can put mum's name and it comes up in the database, well, we might have something. The same as um, travel agents down on the, on the Gold Coast. Um, she booked from somewhere. Um, someone did send me a newsletter from TSS and there was an article about mum being a teacher in reception on that page and underneath there was an um, advert for Harvey World Travel and someone said to me maybe she went through Harvey World Travel like they looked to be promoting through the newsletter at school. They had deals and offers on so maybe we could look through that way. So... Just an idea. Thanks, Alex, for that suggestion. Um, yeah, if anyone can have a little bit of a play or have a check or put up a poster, I'd be very grateful. Brian, Greg, anything else? No, no, that's it. Um, looking forward to everyone hearing episode 12. Absolutely. And good luck to all of you in your endeavours. And, and Sally, I, I, hope, I hope things end well for you and, and, and well done you. Thank you. You're, Appreciate uh, your time yeah. today. No, it's great to talk to you. You too, Alison. No, thank you for Good being you, Greg. such a voice of reason, as always, Greg. I mean, you know, um, real salient points that you've made, everything um, that, you know, it, it all makes sense. So thank you so much, and thank you for uh, joining us today, and I look forward to, you know, having a coffee soon. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. You're, you're, you're honouring your mother, Sally. Well done. Oh, thanks, Greg. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, all. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, thanks Greg. Have a good day. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Have a great day.